Welcome again to the virtual church classroom at Shiloh Church in Jasper, Indiana. It's a bug-free zone in our Shiloh church classroom, virtual church classroom. You can't catch coronavirus. You can't even catch the sniffles. It's safe. And the only thing that you're in danger of is becoming more intelligent and more in love with the Lord God. That's at least our premise, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm Pastor Dan, and I'm joined by my beautiful daughter, Bethany. Shalom. And we are in the midst of our study of The Great Divorce, a book by our good friend Jack C.S. Lewis. We are on Chapter 3, Episode 4 of our book study. And we're about to meet the shadow people. Mm -hmm. uh, this episode's being recorded on Friday, March 13th. And uh, we are going to have nothing but good luck today because luck is not something a Christian should focus on. We have faith and luck don't go together. Faith and luck don't go together, in my book anyway. So at this point in the book, The Great Divorce, we are on the bus traveling from the gray land, the gray town, to a place that we will understand to be heaven. And as the, as the travelers are arriving and they exit the bus, some of them are overwhelmed and they get back on the bus. Yeah. Because it feels safer on the bus. And some are more brave and they huddle together and press forward. And I love this. that You know, uh, C.S. Lewis is a um, Jack Wright's magnificently but then he's not like flowery and artsy you know he, he doesn't write like that but this is really a very beautiful description he said the light and coolness that drenched me were like those of a summer morning early morning a minute or two before the sunrise only that that there was a certain difference and i, I don't know i like that mm -hmm. that's just a very picture very clear picture of what it's like there and uh so they're getting off the bus yep they're confronted with heaven mm -hmm. it's the same ornery bunch of people on the bus so with regard to the landscape how does jack describe the passenger's new destination yeah so he says it's really beautiful and and like nothing they've seen before but it's also weighty Mm-hmm. Like, everything, like, the the grass is sharp and hard, and, like, the, you can't pick up the leaf that's that's on the ground because it's so heavy, mm -hmm. and, um, which I think my interpretation of that, the few, the several times that I've read the book now, is more about the people on the bus than the actual state of matter in heaven. Not that the state of matter in heaven would not have changed, would not be different than Earth, but you, you get the sense that the people on the bus are not very corporeal. Mm -hmm. So when they're confronted with heaven, which is probably everything beautiful and wonderful about Earth, but like on steroids, right? it's, too, it's so overwhelming to their senses that it feels like it's really heavy and because they don't have the same substance. And, you know, it's it's really interesting because uh, I think this is one of the reasons I love this book so much is because as I began to study the Bible more intently and, and you know, 
back when we were doing the Revelation study, I referred to a guy named Chuck Missler a few times, mm-hmm. and and uh, Chuck Chuck's a little bit of a controversial character, and and he has since passed away and and is in heaven now, I'm sure, but. You know, one of the things I love is he had a very scientific mind, and mm-hmm. and he also was a brilliant theologian. And he he basically said, you know, one of the things you understand as you really study Scripture is that this isn't reality. That where we are now is not reality. This is a lot more like the images portrayed in the movie The Matrix, mm-hmm. and that the reality is actually heaven. Yeah. And so then you read. Someone who no doubt influenced Chuck because he read everybody. Mm-hmm. But here we are listening to, to Jack say, yeah, I think that's how it is. I think that we think we're in reality and we think this is the way everything really is. But what we don't understand is this is a gray, yeah. minimalistic, muted version of reality. And, and when we going- leave this and enter into the real it's going to be overwhelming. Yeah. Well, and I think you have evidence of that right in the Bible, too, because you mentioned our Revelation study. And when John is describing the throne room, his mm-hmm. descriptions are very similar to this. Like, yep. Um, which, you know, just means that Jack knew his Bible. You bet. <laughs> but but it, it is very similar. Like, in Revelation, it talks about, like, how everything kind of looks like precious stones Mm -hmm. and and then jack is describing like the grass being like diamonds Mm -hmm. so yeah it's just our senses don't know how to handle it and these people i think especially their senses don't know how to handle it because they're extra muted and lacking substance they're comfortable yeah in the gray world yeah and we talked on the last episode about the problem of comfort. Mm-hmm. So you have to go back and listen to that if you're not sure where we're going with that. So this is a perfect transition. So let's use scripture to get a picture of heaven. Okay. And then see if we, if Jack has done a good job of using scripture to make the point. Um, so Matthew 6.20. What does Matthew 6.20 tell us about heaven? So Matthew 6.20 says, But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. So I would say that means that heaven is protected. Yep. It's a place where nothing can be destroyed. How about Luke 23, verse 43? This one says, Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. It's uh, one of my favorite passages to quote. So... To me, that means that there's not a delay. Right. That, yeah, I don't know what else to say. Well, and... And And that it is paradise. Like, it's not... Yeah, see, what I tell people all the time, and because I need to believe this, is if if one of the ways I don't fear death, or the way I learn not to fear death, is understanding that if Jesus guaranteed this guy who was repenting at the very last moments of his life, mm-hmm. paradise, well, I don't even know what paradise means, but it sounds like a good thing. Yeah. And so I can take comfort in knowing that when I die, it's going to be better than this. It's yeah. going to be paradise. But what I love about the great divorce is, is that it's telling us that the journey doesn't stop, mm-hmm. that you don't stop growing because when you become an eternal being, when you're born again, 
it's as though you start out like a newborn baby Mm -hmm. and then you spend the rest of your existence growing up, which means that when you transition from this life to, to the real reality, then you continue that process. So it's paradise, but it doesn't mean that you won't still have to learn how to walk on the grass and learn how to, you, you know, and which is exactly, I'm getting ahead of the story, but, but this is exactly what Jack finds out yeah. in his, in his allegory. He's saying, you know, that, that as you progress, you grow and mature and become more, adapted to reality mm-hmm. in heaven and i just this passage is so precious to me because of that so how about john fourteen two? my father's house has many rooms if that were not so would i have told you that i'm going there to prepare a place for you mm-hmm. i always like that because i just think it's really great he's like would i lie to you yeah <laughs> yeah you can trust him You're take good. him at his word <laughs> And, and, you know, uh, I used to, I used to have trouble cause I, I prefer to take scripture literally. Um, and yet you do that with, with a, uh, liberally educated critical thinking mind, you know what I mean? So, so it's like, okay, perhaps he's not talking about a house. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I wouldn't want heaven to feel confining, you know, I wouldn't want to be in a cell or a room, you know? And yet I get the feeling what he's really saying is, is there's plenty of room. There's plenty there's of space. There's room for everyone, yeah. And if I were preparing a room for someone, if I had a guest coming I, and I was preparing a room for them, I would probably want to put things in there that I knew that would be particularly meaningful to them mm-hmm. and that would be particularly comforting, comforting to them. Um, if I knew that you like a soft bed and a soft pillow and I really wanted to treat you special... Then when I prepared a room for you, I would make sure it had a soft pillow and a soft bed. And, you know, if I knew your favorite cover color was green, I would make sure there were lots of rich green colors in there. So I read that passage and I think that what, what Jesus is saying is the father is so looking forward to you being with him that he's preparing a room for you that's going to be a particularly blessing, a, a particularly blessed space for you. Mm-hmm. And that's very comforting, too. Mm-hmm. First uh, Corinthians two nine says, "However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love Him." So we can't even begin to imagine what paradise is actually going to be like until we're there. Yep. Yep. Pretty, pretty cool. Hebrews eleven sixteen. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Hmm. So. This is not our home. This is not our home. Don't get comfortable here. It's better there. And uh, how about Revelation 21, 1? You, 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 you went there a few minutes ago. Now you do it officially. <laughs> So this one says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And then jump to four. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And how about 22, 1 to 5? Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. 
On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Hmm. And then twenty-one, fifteen to 27. The angel who talked with me had a measure, measuring rod of gold to measure the city its gates and its walls. The city was laid out like a square as long as it was wide. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 12, 12, stadia in length and as wide and high as it is long. The angel measured the wall using human measurement and it was 144 cubits thick. The wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold as pure as glass. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth ruby, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth turquoise, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. The great street of the city was of gold, as pure as transparent glass. I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who has done what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Good. Thank you for reading that. And what does that tell us about heaven? It's purdy. <laughs> It's expensive. <laughs> yeah. It, it's, uh, you know, and of course, when we were doing the Revelation study, one of the things we kept talking about was that John's trying to describe things that no one's ever seen before. So he's doing the best he can with the limited vocabulary. Also, those are some massive pearls. Yeah. One gate per pearl. So. It's like the biggest oyster ever. Yeah, I was going to say, I'd, I'd be a little frightened of that oyster. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we went the same place. Go figure. <laughs> so once Jack sticks off the, he steps off the bus, he finds himself in a space so huge that the solar system is an indoor affair by comparison. <laughs> it gives him a feeling of freedom, but also exposure and possible danger. Why? Because it's infinity. And we can't comprehend infinity. It's kind of like when we were doing um, Mere Christianity and even Revelation, we were talking about how we we literally cannot fathom an additional dimension. Yeah. Our brains aren't equipped for it. So he steps off the bus into infinity and his brain stutters. Yeah. It's scary because he doesn't know how to deal with it because our brains aren't equipped for it. It's a really good answer. Thanks. Yeah. So what does Jack fully realize about the other passengers on the bus as well as himself? And how does it affect their interaction with their surroundings? Yeah, so he realized, that a yeah, little bit. I mean, I think, yeah, I talked about it a little when we first started the chapter, but he realizes that they're not corporeal, that he didn't know it when they were in the gray town, but once they get to heaven, he realizes that there's a lot of substance and matter around them, but they aren't substantive. Right. They're shadowy or ghost-like 
Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, terrible analogy. If people remember uh, the movie Ghost with Patrick Swayze, gosh, that's what, from the late 80s or was I it think, 90s? I don't know for sure. I think it might have been around the 90s, early 90s. I love 90s. Swayze, though. But I remember that he, you know, when he realizes he's a ghost, he gets another ghost to explain to him how he moves things. Yeah. And, and, you know, I'm just picturing that right now. It's like they're having to deal with the fact mm-hmm. that, that they have no particular impact on this environment because they're not physically part of the environment, but there is a way to direct their energy and move mm-hmm. things. It's just not enough. So, so it's kind of an interesting yeah. thought. Um, so even though the bus driver said that they can stay on as long as uh, they please and never go back to the gray town, some of the ghosts become overwhelmed with fear and retreat to the safety of the bus. So how would would Abraham have felt in Genesis 12 when God asked him to move his whole family without telling him where they were going? And how can the fear of the unknown cripple your capacity to follow God? Well, that question feels like it answers itself, but that's okay. Um, it, it is all about the fear of the unknown. Like we, if, because if we're scared about stepping out, then we're going to miss things that God has planned, like that, that God has a plan for us, but we also have the choice to stay home or do it or give it over and let him lead. Um, and like that Abraham had to. We were just talking about that, weren't we? In the last episode, you know, I was talking the difference between human being and mm-hmm. the human doing. Yeah. Is the amount of risk you're willing to absorb. Yeah. And I think the people who get off the bus and jump back on that are not willing to step into unknowns. Yeah. It's too scary. And and the good news is is that Abraham didn't do that. Or Abram didn't do that. Yeah, Abram was so um really remarkable and and i think what's really cool is that that he's he's the real expression of faith because i've always felt that faith and courage are pretty much two sides of the same coin uh they're both when you do something that doesn't make any sense mm-hmm. um you're you're running towards danger when everybody else is running away from it you're uh you're believing something that everybody else doesn't believe and and uh you know yeah that's that's really it and 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 i think that's something we all have to try to do and the thing is is even the most frightened person does put themselves at risk to a certain extent um i remember that television show monk we used to watch it it was really good it's hard mm-hmm. to believe it's been so long ago, but it was a great exploration of, of the kind of phobias that disable people. Mm-hmm. And Monk had a brother who would never go outside his house. Mm-hmm. And it made Monk look a little bit more, uh, he was Adrian and his brother was Alex. can't remember. I can't remember. But anyway, he, he, uh, uh, he made his brother look good, you know? And, and what's funny is that, that everything you do to prevent yourself from experiencing danger and risk and the things you fear, it, it still doesn't prevent you from putting yourself out there. You just don't have any choice. You can't 
you can't live in a bubble. Mm-hmm. And so you don't. Uh, so has God ever asked you to do something that seemed unreasonable, something that you took into uh, that took you into a territory that's unknown? And what if he asked you to refuse a long-awaited promotion or resist a long, uh, a longed-for relationship? What if he called you to a remote part of the world and asked you to release your children to serve him in a faraway place? And how would you respond? Well, that's a question for everybody, not just you, Bethany. So, I mean, you know, think about things that you would rather not do. And uh, I can remember when I went into ministry, um, I basically said, yeah, I'll do this as long as you don't appoint me to a place where I feel like my family might be in danger. Um, I remember thinking that I had no desire to leave this country. I was content to just stay right here in, in, in North America. And, you know, both of those have been completely exploded. And I have no regrets. But, you know, there was a time when I said I was willing to do what God wanted me to do, but conditionally. Mm-hmm. And God seems to have allowed those conditions to be in place at least until God changed my mind and I didn't need those conditions anymore. And I think that's probably something that we all have to, to deal with, yeah. you know. Um, so, uh, why was the respectable ghost annoyed? Because he doesn't think the other passengers should be around. (laughs) Like, he, like, he's just really disdainful of all the other people. He thinks that, like, like, he talks about the management. Like, management let all this riffraff in. It must have been a mistake. Because obviously he was supposed to be there to get away from the other people. (laughs) You know, I'd forgotten about that. It was, it was pretty funny how he was always talking about management. Yeah. It was so British. Yeah, it was. It, well, of course, yeah. everything about this book is very British, and that's okay, but it helps if you have a little bit of Anglophile in you, because because this is so, you know, old school British. It, like, if you ever watch a, on PBS, if you ever watch the old British shows, like the Are You Being Served, mm-hmm. which is sort of a celebration of the old culture. Yeah. Uh, it's just like that, you know. Uh, everything is systematized and it's all about the management yes. and, you know, and all that. That's, that's pretty funny. So which Jewish group in Luke 15, one to seven found themselves with the same complaint? And what was Jesus's response? Well, I'm just going to take a guess and say it was probably those Pharisees. Yeah, probably. Without looking. Cause yeah. you know, it's just how they roll. Um, yep. It's the Pharisees. You want me to read and it? what was their principal complaint? Um, that that Jesus hung out with sinners. Right. Yeah. He ran with the wrong crowd. You can't be the son of God because <laughs> God would never hang out with people like that. He breaks bread with them. Yeah. You know, as if they've got a exclusive understanding of how God feels about other people. You know, mm-hmm. um, trying to apply human sensibilities to your Creator. You know. So, it still happens in church. Mm-hmm. Uh, every church on the planet considers themselves a friendly church. If you ask the people who've yeah. been there all their life, they'll say, "Oh, we're friendly." And until yet, somebody that doesn't meet the criteria yeah, shows up, ask a newcomer how they felt about your church, and almost universally they'll say, "Well, it would have been nice if they were friendlier." And 
And, you know, the truth is, is that, that you have to be friendly on purpose. Um, to say that you're not hateful is a reasonable thing. You can say, well, I never hurt those people. I didn't run them out with a stick or anything. Yeah. But neither did you reach out to them and openly embrace them and welcome them. And so that's that's where the problem is. So so when Jack is talking, he says there was no change and no progression as the hours passed. The promise or the threat of sunrise rested immovably up there. So according to Matthew 25, 1 to 13, why is there both promise and threat in the sunrise? Well, Matthew 25, 1 to 13 says at the time, the kingdom of heaven, at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps, but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil and jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out. Here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the hour or the day. Hmm. So, what's the promise and the threat of the sunrise? You don't know what's going to happen that day. Yeah. And, and, of course, what you understand... Which is good and bad. Um, as, as he progresses in heaven, he's moving toward the sun. Mm -hmm. He's moving toward the rising sun. Yeah. And... Yeah, so so you're dealing with the unknown again. It's really like that question of how does one define the infinite? Mm -hmm. You can't. Yeah. Um, We're meant to stay alert. And then the last uh, last thing we're going to talk about in this chapter is what's the appearance of the ones who came from heaven? They're filled with light. They're filled with light. Yep. And according to Philippians three twenty and twenty one, how's our bodies? How will our bodies be different in heaven? But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Yeah, and there's the thing, you know, um, we've. I don't know. We, uh, this is one of those things I've talked about, and I don't remember where I've talked about it. So, anyway, it's a common theme for me. Is one of the one of the beautiful insights that came to me years and years ago is that when we're looking at Jesus in the resurrected form on Easter Sunday, we're seeing what will be like. Mm -hmm. He's the firstborn of the resurrected dead, mm -hmm. and we're going to look like him. Yeah. And even Job knew that. That's what's really amazing. And Job was, you know, uh, could have been as much as 4,000 years before Jesus. And he knew that one of these days he was going to stand face to face with his Redeemer and he would be like him. Yeah. You know, and and so when we try to imagine our resurrection form, it is going to be like Jesus. Mm -hmm. And... uh 
and and apparently multi-dimensional, which is probably going to be kind of handy. Yeah. You might still get to ride that dinosaur someday. I don't know. Or walk through a wall. Yeah. Or just you show know. up somewhere. Yeah. Like, oh, here I am. So, you won't ever be late. You'll never have to call Scotty to beam you up. Yeah. Ever. Well, there you go, friends. That is uh, chapter three, three, episode four. And uh, that's all we've got for you for now. I really can't begin to tell you how much it means to us to have you listening. It is a humbling experience, and we hope that you benefit from this. Thanks for joining us in the germ-free Shiloh <laughs> virtual church classroom. And uh, if you want to know more about Shiloh United Methodist Church, well, Shiloh Church, and you want to know anything about me, whatever, just visit shilohjasper.org. That's S-H-I-L-O-H-J-A-S-P-E-R dot org. Pick up the app in the App Store. Just look for Shiloh Jasper and uh, get connected with this. We hope you are blessed. For now, God bless you and goodbye. Bye.